about the the difference actually between um, social media and then real life for high performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Treed, what do you see as those distinctions between someone who's you know showing up on social media and an actual real high performer? What's the difference that you see? Welcome everyone to the main journey, a way for you to join me on a learning journey through life. My name is Samuel Main, and today we welcome Dr. Carla Fowler to the show. Welcome, Carla, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Samuel. I'm excited for this. Carla, you're the founder and managing director of Thaxa, which is an executive coaching firm that helps people achieve big goals through performance science. Carla, you grew up on Mercer Island and attended Brown University, where you graduated with a bachelor's in human biology. You then went on to complete your MD and PhD in immunology at the University of Washington. So, it was a little bit of a tongue twister. I probably stitched myself up a little bit there. But oh, it's a I think you did great. Hell of a story. <laughs> hell of a story. I'd love to kick things off with a little bit more of an insight into what Thaxa is and ultimately why you started this company. Um, such great, such a great question. And um, so Thaxa is my coaching practice. And really in that practice, I work with high-performing people. Um, often they are in leadership positions um, who are trying to do challenging things where there's uncertainty and risk involved. And um, my goal is to help them use performance science to help them level up their skills, level up their results. Um, particularly when they're at a place where, you know, like working harder or working more is like no longer going to get them gains, right? Like they're already working really hard. So, um, that is, um, that's like the short story of like what my practice is. Um, and in terms of why I started it and there's sort of, there's a, there's a backstory to that. And then there's also like the motivations to it. So, um, I think just in terms of like the backstory, um, clearly I've always been kind of um, interested in science and I really think like a scientist, like I love the idea that you can figure things out that, you know, problems are solvable. And, um, and I think that is very true um, kind of in the human realm as well. I think a lot of us are setting goals for ourselves and um, want to challenge ourselves and we're trying to figure out like how to do that better. Um, and I think one of the things that really drew me to performance science was this idea that, hey, there's all these ideas out there, like a lot of different um, disciplines from the business schools to like sociology, psychology, um, you know, the productivity movement. There's a lot of different um, people, smart people thinking about this and studying this. And so there's all this information that we can use. Um, and as you probably know, like when there's a lot of information, uh, that that's helpful, that's a resource, but also, uh, kind of the devil is in like distilling that so you can actually use it. Like, so real people, um, can actually apply it and do something with it. And so, um, I think part of the inspiration around taking the science as a starting place for a coaching practice was this idea of saying, can you distill it? 
can you get to some principles or a way for all of us to just understand it um, and to not have to be like an academic about it and then be able to use it um, to produce better results? Yeah. Um, you know, how do you really do that? And so um, that's kind of the, the inspiration for it. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I can definitely see how your background then transitioned into the, this company. I'm really intrigued because for me in coaching, there is endless amounts of material and study and so many different frameworks ultimately yes. in how you can help someone and how you can serve them. So for you, how did you whittle that, that down? Because if I've read a thousand articles, that means you must have read 10,000. <laughs> so how have you broken that down to ultimately the foundations? And you know, what's that core framework that then you yeah. use to serve people? Well, if you had to say like, what's the process, mm -hmm. the word I would use is iter iterative. <laughs> so I think it's so easy for us to look around and be like, oh, like, you know, that person who produced that result or wrote that book or whatever it is, like, oh, they must've just had this moment of insight and mm -hmm. then it was all magic from there. <laughs> and, you know, I always like to be a voice of like, what does high performance actually look like? Because um, generally I think it, um, it takes longer and it's messier than often we're led to believe when we're like, you know, seeing things in the news or someone's blogging about it or, yep. um, so the process was definitely iterative. And I would say it stood long before I actually started my coaching practice. So as you sort of alluded to, um, prior to getting into coaching, uh, I got an MD, I got a PhD, um, during that time, I also actually played like really high level sports. So I at the, simultaneously, you know, I was playing ultimate Frisbee, which is kind of a fringe sport, but, um, you know, there are a bunch of us that played at a high level and, you know, I won multiple national championships. So there was kind of this process where I was using myself as a Guinea pig because I always felt like when I put myself in challenging situations, like if I could just get in the arena with a bunch of other really smart people or a bunch of really like talented athletes that I would become better. It almost like forces you to get there. Yes. And the other thing is you look around and then you suddenly like, I'm not trying to say that I view all of life as lab, except that that is kind of true. Like I'm always looking around seeing like, what's everybody doing? not from a standpoint of like that everything you see other people do that then you should do that <laughs> because that's a really bad strategy but you can learn a lot watching people's results and watching you know what are the habits that they use as long as you're getting enough of a sample size yep. that um you know uh you don't see someone you know some successful startup entrepreneur eat blueberries for breakfast and then conclude that like, ah, blueberries Super is the food. secret. Yeah. Superfood. There it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think a big piece, um, even prior to like sitting down and saying, okay, what's the framework going to be was um, my own life experience. Mm -hmm. And so for example, some principles that like I learned were, um, you know, if you, you need to think about like, who, who are the people that you're kind of, you're interacting with and exposing yourself to like, um, you 
like if you can get contact with or build relationships with people who are really operating at a high level, like there's some things you can learn from them. Also, like they might be good people to have in your network as you're trying to build some influence, for example. Um, You know, I think another thing I really learned was this idea of, and this is from my PhD advisor. So (laughs) um, I was in an immunology lab um, which is still very useful information for me. Uh, during COVID, I was like sort of a <laughs> sidelines expert for friends and family. Um, but I also use it. Um, I'm an angel investor. And so I, I think a lot about biotech. So yeah. I, I use that a lot. But um, one of the interesting things about learning to do science, whatever the science is, is that um, uh, it teaches you how to think about a problem that doesn't have an obvious playbook or solution to it. And, um, and the whole point of doing it is no one's done it before. And so like in that uh, way, it's actually kind of similar to entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, you could say that the scientific method is not unlike, you know, when we think about lean startup, um, techniques, like make an MVP based on a hypothesis, send it out there as quickly and cheaply as possible, get some feedback and then iterate. Right. Um, But my PhD advisor, one of the things he would always tell me is like, you really got to focus on like, what's the thing you want to learn? Like what's most important? Um, Don't spend your time, like trying to like dot, dot the I's, cross the T's, do some little stuff on other people's work. Like what's the thing you want to do? That's going to be your thing. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I got, I got a question. You, you yeah. mentioned about the the difference actually between um, social media and then real life for high performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Treed, what do you see as those distinctions between someone who's you know showing up on social media and an actual real high performer? What's the difference that you see? Well, that's a great question, and the truth is they can be one and the same. Okay. It's actually a little more about what is our as the viewer perception mm. of what's happening. So that's a little more and. Granted, I, there are people on social media who are mostly just social. And I, yeah. I, you know, well, actually we could say they are high-performing at social media, which is a skill. Yes. And actually it's a really important skill. And, and when we get down to like my really distilled principles of performance, like we can, we can tie that back in why that actually matters and why that is a skill. Um, now they may also be producing something else, which is a different area of their performance. Uh, performance, right? Like maybe they run a company or maybe they've built a whole business um, Mm -hmm. around their content and whether it's recommending products or whatever it is. But, um, but for us as a viewer, I think what's really important is what are the, what are the decisions we're making or the beliefs we're forming about what we should do, what we should want. Secondly, about what's most important for what we want um, and sort of what's happening to us based on the fact that we now have access to billions of people, but only a small slice of that, those billions is existence. Yeah. We get their best looking picture, right? On their best hair day. Um, we get, you know, we get the, the good thing, the little twi- tweet about the good thing that happened or the big deal they closed. But what we don't get, no one tweets about the nine deals they didn't close on the way to that one. And so, yes. Can't, can't say that out loud, right? I know. Those low um, behaviors and 
you can't admit that you're you failed at something and had no shows and people and people said no and it was too expensive (laughs) you know some of it's some of it's definitely that right like that ego piece you know but I think the other thing is that um things that make news have to be kind of like dramatic or stimulating. And I think one of the challenges is even if someone is humble enough to say, listen, this is the reality and literally put their numbers publicly. I think one of the challenges is um, it doesn't necessarily make good news. So I'm not saying people are only filtering out of ego. I think there's also, um, yeah. I've actually, when you bring that up, I've actually noticed more and more people starting to actually share their data from their business because then it, if you're doing the right thing and let's say, for example, your retention rate is through the roof, like that's actually very, very helpful from a marketing perspective. So I've actually yes. started to see more transparency in some of that, um, some of the datas. You you mentioned about the principles of high yeah. performers. So I'm really intrigued. What would be your description or mm-hmm. your overview of what a high performer looks like? Yeah. So um, we, we talked a little bit about sort of how did we, how did we distill and like get there? Some of it was kind of observations over personal experience and stories. Um, but another piece of it was really looking at, again, kind of the field and saying thematically, what like what are the hot spots in the mm-hmm. field and how do I think these ideas group? And then do they match up? Like, do they do they pass the test, right? Like, am I like, hmm, this makes sense based on my own experience, or like this seems odd? So um the way I think about it um just more generally, and this is sort of performance science as a whole, is that you've got ideas grouped around the idea of strategy. Mm-hmm. So like you know, of all the things you're thinking about doing for your business, for your yeah. life, like what, um, you know, what are the right things to do um, that give you the most impact versus all the stuff you could do? I mean, like uh, Oliver Berkman, he has this great book called 4,000 Weeks and it's like time management for mortals. And he makes this point that there's like billions of lives we will not live. And, um, oh, Amazing. <laughs> so a uh, little plug here. I thought it was a great book. It is a philosophical book written by a productivity guru. Yes. And, um, but he makes this great point that the truth is we are going to live like one of a billion lives we could. Mm-hmm. And so really what makes our life, I think he uses the word like shining and unique is like the choices we make, the trade-offs. So Powerful. there's a bunch of ideas then that become really important about strategy. What are the few things you're going to do out of the billions of things you could? Um, you know, the second big hotspot I think is around execution. And that is really about like, "Mm, how do you do those things that you've chosen effectively and efficiently? So, um, you know, there's not just kind of a lot of wasted resources or time. And then I think that third hotspot of ideas is about mindset things around how do we stay motivated? Um, you know, what mindsets or approaches allow us to better connect with and or motivate people? Um, you know, where does confidence come from? You know, how do we manage a stressful situation? Um, so if we start there, that's kind of how I think about performance science and Mm -hmm. the first installation of how does like, how do we think about this? If we're not gonna, you know, we're not an academic. Um, but I think that's a first useful 
lens to say, well, I could impact my performance in three different areas Mm -hmm. by what I choose to do, my strategy, how well I do those things, um, or effectively do I do them? And how, what's my perspective? How do I view and view things? So, um, that's like at a broad level. And then, um, ultimately I said, well, then in each of those areas, what is most important, Mm -hmm. but I want to pause there because I think I like to really build and in my coaching practice also foundationally from like bottom up, like don't start with blueberries. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So pause there and then we could definitely move into like, uh, what are the specific principles of performance? I love that you've got those three pillars, um, the strategy, the the mindset, and then also kind of a leverage and productivity aspect too. It's uh, yeah, really, really unique. And I can see how useful that can be from an assessment point of view for you too. You can assess your clients by, you know, those pillars and uh, ultimately then find their, their shortcomings. So when you are working with high performers, CEOs, entrepreneurs, is there a place that they are most commonly falling short? I think what's great, and you said it very well, is that like different people have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think they're very strategic minds that struggle a little bit when you have to kind of get down to the tactical um, or sort of the execution part. Like, yeah. And we can all imagine ourselves in this situation. Like we have something we like the best, right? And then once we've done that part of it, we might be like, ugh. Do I have to do the rest of it? (laughs) And there's different solutions to this. Obviously, um, part of it is like we have teams often of people. And so part of the wonderful thing is um, often when you're doing something um, at any kind of scale, uh, we get to we get to have other people who help us and we don't necessarily have to do everything ourselves. But um, what I like about having a framework to kind of say, Hmm. There's like strategy, execution, and mindset is, um, different people have different levels of strengths and weaknesses in the different buckets, but it means that we can actually spend time in the areas that are going to help them the most. Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes that's amplifying a strength. Um, but I would generally say that, um, in areas of weaknesses, uh, some people would say, don't worry about your weaknesses. Like just focus on your strengths. And, what I would say is don't spend a lot of time trying to get your weaknesses to ever be as strong as your strengths. But I think there's a lot of life and success that is multiplicative. And what I mean by that is um, that if you have a zero in any one category, like zero times anything is zero. <laughs> yeah. And so it's worth saying in areas of weakness, um, for example, maybe sometimes this comes up, like you have a brilliant founder who loves, who technically is like amazing um, and really likes what they're building and all of that. Does not like sales, does not want to sell like any of that. Now, probably ultimately they are going to hire some kind of support for that. And ultimately if they're really growing, they will have a sales team. However, If you are a founder, if you are um, a high-level leader in a company, you generally need to know that you will need to be involved with sales. So taking that from a zero to a one, understanding how it works, 
thinking about your value proposition, even if you're not the one who's going to go out and do it, understanding where the sales funnel is coming from. These are some like basic skills that you are going to need. You can't leave that category as a zero. Um, the, and so the baseline, yeah. mm -hmm. you need the baseline yeah. across the, uh, it still needs to be a jack of all trades, but then have those strengths that can multiply and compound considerably. Right. And lean on those. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. With those high performers and the high level entrepreneurs, CEOs that you work with, do they still also encounter self-sabotage or limiting behaviors or limiting beliefs? Or is it you've got to kind of hold them back? I'm really intrigued. <laughs> I, I am of the mindset and, and just from my experience, like we all feel overwhelmed sometimes, like we all performance discount. And by that, I mean, um, this idea that like, we may have achieved something great yesterday, but like today we're like, what's the next thing? Like yeah. that's old news. Um, and one of the things that I do with people is I actually try and help us, um, recognize progress that's been made because it's actually a really important source of motivation. And so if you're there are things that when you drive yourself really hard, um, that, that are benefits, right? Like, you know, yeah. you never rest on your laurels. However, um, it also can lead to burnout when we're continually moving the goalpost. And so, um, I think that that that's an important, important thing to consider. Um, you know, I think there are some things that when people are really successful that they are doing differently and, um, and I think what's great is there are things that actually are accessible to all of us. Um, and so, you know, I think um, one of the first things, and I really um, encompass it in the principle, my principle of performance, and it relates back to strategy. So that category yeah. um, is this idea of brutal focus. And so one of the things that I see people doing when they're really successful is generally um, they have focus about what they're trying to accomplish. So some clarity around what's the goal? What are they trying to build? What is it not? And what's important about that? And what actually do they, can they be flexible on? Um, so they have some clarity about that. They also have clarity about what is most important, like crucial to getting there. Like what are the big drivers? Um, and I'll be honest, it can't be a million different things. Like I call it brutal focus for a reason. It often feels kind of stark and you're like, really, those are the things that you're going to just focus on and hammer on and like, just say, well, we'll kind of scrap together the rest of it, but we're going to absolutely make sure we're like on top of these things, either as a team or as an individual. Um, and um, then I think the last thing is you're often left with a pile of stuff that's left over after that. And you got to decide what to do with it. And that's like, I call that the extraneous. Nice. So you got to like, kind of just be like quick and dirty with that and say, okay, what am I just going to forget about? Like, nope. 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 What are you going to say uh, later, later, later? And then what are you going to say? Oh, we just need to take care of that like once and for all. So it's no longer, you know, taking up brain space. Um, I like that. I use, I yeah. use the framework, uh, eliminate, automate, delegate. It's got to be one of the hmm. for, for all of those tasks. <laughs> That's great. I love that because it's catchy also, yeah. right? Like these are the things we remember. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that's another thing about focus that is really great is that if you can actually, and, and the way you get to this is actually spending some time thinking about it. Um, and it can be as simple as like, you know, you have like post-it notepad. I, I like this as my example, because I'm like, nope, you don't need a big spreadsheet. You don't even need an eight and a half by 11 inch piece of paper. Um, it can be small, but taking a piece of your life, taking, and this is what I do with clients. When we start, we actually, we may be talking about a professional goal or a big goal. And the way we put brutal focus to it, to start is to say, really, what's an outcome you want. And you don't have to start with a really big outcome. You can just pick an area of your life and say like, what's the outcome I want? Like, is there a health thing that I'm like, you know what? I just need to get more fit. I need to be more fit than I am today. And also like, what do I think that would look like? What does that mean? Does that mean weight loss? Does that mean like more muscle gain, you know? And, and just to say, or is it like, I need to like, I need to eat healthier, but anyways, pick it out and kind of try and put some descriptors to what that means. Um, and then make a list. And, um, some people like the strategy of literally set a timer for five minutes and put down everything you can think of that might be important for that. So that's one strategy that's called the, just like brain dump brain strategy. Dump. Yep. And that's actually, I find that to be useful with for many of my clients, that's the way their brain works. Mm -hmm. And so we just follow anything that might be related to that. I ask a lot of questions. What about this? What about this? Like, you know, how does that work? And, but we get a big brain dump. And then the goal is to come out of that to try and define like, what are three critical priorities? What is most important out of that list that you think would give you the biggest impact towards it? Not all the things, there's a lot of nice to haves on that list. And there's a lot of good things on that list, but we're looking for like, what are the best things? And that might be for the time you invest, what gives you the most potent impact? Um, and then make a list of those three things. And then the next step of it is really about saying, okay, well, what would the action actually look like to kind of do that priority? Like, let's actually make a really specific action and start to like, then go forward to put that into play, uh, which we could talk about more later, but brutal focus is often, again, start at the foundation, set yourself up right to say, what is most important? And then if it's tricky to figure out how to do that thing, that's okay, but that's the game you wanna play. You wanna figure out how to do that thing that's most important versus, well, these other things that are less important are easy to do. How about I just go do those things? And then you're going to do a bunch of work, but you're not going to see the impact you want. So that's why I like start with a foundation of focus, figure out what's most important. I love the, ultimately the simplicity of it, because we all have a tendency to overcomplicate some of these things and, yeah. you know, that overwhelm comes into play uh, and it's that brain dump. It's such a simple framework, but it works so well. Something that's massively helped me in my coaching is creating my own ultimately like coaching Bible. And yeah. it's just a complete manual of all the diff different frameworks that I've learned over the years. And it's just mm -hmm. like tools to my tool belt that when I'm having yes. these conversations, I can, you know, ah, this is the framework I need to serve this person. And yes. that's really helped. And I, I'm going to assume that this brain dump is just one of a thousand frameworks <laughs> that you've probably got um, stored away. What's, um, what's been one of the best client, transformations that you can share 
yeah um, you've had um and ultimately like why why was that transformation so powerful and so good you know it people like people transform in different ways and so and again because depending on like what area you mm-hmm. get insights in it looks a little different but um i would say some of the the easiest ones to think about or understand are where um, and I'll use this focus as an example, because um, all of my client engagements start with this like yeah. five hour virtual retreat where we yes. like have lots of time to go deep. And, and the little exercise that I talked about of saying like, take your post-it note and do this. That is a small bite-sized form of like what we do for much bigger goals, mm-hmm. but you need both, right? Like sometimes there is something worth spending five hours really getting into often there's plenty of stuff in our life that we could make a big impact in if we spent five minutes and a three by three post-it. So I just like to point out that like performance can go up and down the stack and you kind of want to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, um, in, you know, one story I'm thinking about, like, and, uh, often we have insights, um, in this first strategic session, because we actually take time to get through, like in the first hour, you get through layer one of like all the urgent stuff, everything that's kind of top of mind about the goal that they have. And, um, and maybe even with the goal itself, some of the, like, I should want this, mm-hmm. you know, like, here's the shiny thing I think yeah. I want, but you know, and then you get to, yeah. And then you get to hour two and I just keep like asking questions. We kind of are looking at the goal from all the different angles. And, um, but like, uh, by hour three, what happens is we really can start to connect some dots that were not connected before. And so what's really powerful is when someone has an insight that actually leads to a very quantitative outcome. There are obviously many outcomes around personal growth and performance that are a little less, that are harder to quantitate. But in this example, it was an entrepreneur uh, who had a goal of selling his company in about three years time and was trying to figure out like, how to plan ahead for that, how to maximize purchase price and um, ultimately had an insight. I think around hour three, this is typically like when it happens where he realized that the most important thing he needed to do was to aggressively raise prices and um, to do so immediately. Wow. And went out and did that and like increased the purchase price of the company by 10 million, three, three years later when he was successful and it's like these things it's it's funny um there is this beautiful i don't know if you experience this in coaching but um when you have someone who can ask questions and listen and actually when you have to explain something to someone like the business and your goal you know and someone is listening and asking questions um who also has some frameworks right like you have this whole tool belt I have some frameworks that I'm thinking about from a performance science lens. And when you have to explain it, part of what happens is all of it gets out of our brain and we can see it in a different way. And we often stumble across these things where, you know, like, I think I was probably asking a lot of questions about, well, explain how this works. And, you know, when you're really forced to do that, your brain puts some things together. Um, so like, that's just, that's just one example, but, um, you know, I think, um, there are other examples and some of these relate more in, into the process. Um, but here's, I guess I'll say one last thing is when we start with brutal focus, um, 
what often happens immediately, even though no one's done any different behaviors, they haven't, they haven't gotten started, but um, when you have some mental clarity, it makes everything feel so much better. I know it's really hard to stop and think when you feel like you hardly have enough time to do, but one of the things I recommend to everyone, um, and in coaching, you have this beautiful protected time to do it. So that's one of the great reasons to get a coach is because often that is what creates the time for you. But when you can stop and think and distill and get to some clarity or some focus, um, suddenly lots of things become easier. Sometimes you eliminate problems because you're like, that's not really actually a problem anymore. Sometimes um, you also find that it's become easier to communicate like with your board of directors or with your team, because if you have mental clarity, suddenly everyone else like understands mm -hmm. you better. Yep. <laughs> um, and so there's these other really um, kind of repeatable things I see happening after people take that time, either with me, but on, it, it can happen on your own also. Um, when you take that time to say, oh, suddenly, you know, the goal of getting fit has been broken. And now is a very clear set of action items yeah. that I need to do so consistently. So. Yeah, it's very approachable. I love that you mentioned the, when you're asking questions. And I, that for me, was kind of like, almost like journaling out loud with them for that coaching That's relationship. That's a beautiful way to put it. And for me, and a way to describe coaching is almost like the art of communication or the art of questioning and then silence <laughs> it's allowing people to have that time to think and to then gain that clarity but you know you mentioned that brutal focus and something that's been so important for me has been that environment and it's very clear you create such a powerful environment for someone to stop and think and if they're a high level ceo they've got all these things going on it's very common. They don't have that time. They don't take that time. Um, so you providing that environment for them to gain that clarity, you know, can be so important. And obviously, you know, then the the quantifiable numbers afterwards is the, is the tenor, which is great. So you take them through this process of brutal focus. What comes next? Because obviously the clarity is there. Then mm -hmm. what? Well, and clarity is an ongoing process. So that's, that's a disclaimer we should yeah. make here. <laughs> it's not like, great, we're done with the brutal focus yeah, that's part. It. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, brutal focus, I always start there because again, everything else goes much more smoothly. So um, after that, um, one of the, I think the second principle of performance, once you're starting to say, and you're thinking about executing, um, is this idea of like, how do you cultivate power and influence? Um, and there's a couple different parts of that, but I, I bring this up because I think, um, the, another thing that high performers do well, and also that's a common mistake that can sometimes stand between people and being successful, even when they're actually producing great results is this idea that if nobody sees your results, often it's like your results don't exist. Yeah, And so um, there are some places like athletics where it's so easy to measure performance just alone that um, pretty much if, if you are like a really fast runner, like you will, you will be, and you enter races, like you will be discovered. Um, but in so much of life and business, like uh, you can provide a great product or service, but unless people are aware of it, unless the network has a perception of you, 
um, then it's going to be challenging to actually be successful, even though you might be level. And this really goes back to your question that you said about like the social media, like when you see someone who like, I don't know, is, is very active on social media, that is actually a skill and that is a, a visibility skill. And so, um, one of the things that I always like to think about as people are working towards their goal, and it's a lens we look through, it's not prescriptive, it's not tactical, but it's to say, um, where do we need to think about uh, where you're like your influence? And are you building enough power or influence to get the job done that you need to get job done? And there's a couple different ways to look at this. Um, one of the first is that um, sometimes you need to build your skills. Uh, there might be knowledge gaps or skill gaps, um, but you need to think about how you can improve in those areas to be able to kind of have the influence that you want to have. Um, and then I think the second area, so if there are things like that, I often ask that question to say, yeah, yeah. where are there? Cause I, I am such a proponent of us having kind of universal growth mindset, like that we can learn and grow in any area as okay. long as our brains conceive that we can do that. So, um, so there is that. So I'm often looking for those things and often people self-identify those things like, oh, I hate sales. <laughs> and like, okay, yeah. I like, we're going to talk about that and figure out, you know, how you can learn enough to be dangerous and, and to do what you need to do for that. But uh, I think the second piece is this idea of saying, what visibility do you need? How do you need to self-promote um, whether you're within a big company um, and even if you're producing great results, this question is really relevant of how are you going to showcase those in appropriate ways to appropriate people and not just expect that people see your good work because we are so self-centered as human beings. <laughs> we are all busy thinking about ourselves, uh, you know, and, um, and so it, it is important to say, how do you really cleanly present or showcase impact that you're making yes. so that people perceive that and connect that to you? And um, so I think that that's something I'm often thinking about. And depending on the situation, that can be, you know, if you're an executive or you're working within a bigger company, that could be, you know, the your supervisor and skip level could be your peers. Um, but if you're running a startup, that may be, you need your investors and your your potential investors to see what you're doing. Mm. You know, you need your customer base to see what you're doing. Uh, and then just one last piece of cultivating power. And that is you rarely do things alone. And so part of your ability to produce things is how well have you set up your team to know how to win and to be able to contribute and to bring their talents uh, to the, to the thing. And so I think uh, it's really important to sort of say, okay, uh, does my team have clarity about what we're trying to do? Do they have clarity about how they can contribute and why they're important? You know, do they know kind of the rules of the game? Can they see the field as I see the field? You know, maybe can they point out stuff on the field that I didn't see? Uh, and um, can we all play the game together well? And how do I like set them up to do that? Because if you want to scale, you're not going to do it alone. <laughs> yeah. I love that you, in this aspect, you delve into all the different 
part of a business, the marketing, the sales, the fulfillment, the operations, then the management of the team and the kind of linking all of that together. I was really intrigued you mentioned about how everyone should have a certain level of influence and essentially developing what I would say is that personal brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that the case for someone who's potentially a higher level CEO, but they're not the face of the company? Do they still need to develop that level of influence or is that just influence within the team? I, I love that you're pointing out the subtleties in the word influence. And yeah. I think this is where um, the principles always overlap. So yeah. for example, this is a great place to say, okay, for a given individual, we should think in a focused way about what kind of influence is most impactful for them. And as you pointed out, yeah. rightly so, um, that may look different from, uh, you know, if you are if you are the CEO and the mm -hmm. face of a company, and what you want to be representing versus what does like the CTO need to be yeah. representing. And by the way, that can be different. I, I wouldn't even say that there's one thing for CTOs and there's one thing for CEOs. I would say it depends on your company, depends on the industry, um, and so it's very useful. And and again, I like. I like the principles and I like starting from first principles because they're not prescriptive, but they help us um, make, look at situations and say, what makes sense here and what's going to help, help here. And so, you know, for someone who's um, maybe a different, let's just talk about two different scenarios. Like one could be, yeah, like you need to be out there representing the company. And so maybe you need a strong social media brand, uh, both like from the customer side, but also like as a social proof for your investors that they feel like they invested in something that's like out there and doing well. Um, and then, you know, you do need also like you are running a team. So that internal is important as well. Um, one example is, yeah, if you were more on the technical front, it might be more important for you to be seen as like, a technical expert. Mm -hmm. And you certainly need yeah. technically to be connecting with the team, but maybe in this particular scenario, you look at it and you say, actually, uh, you know, I need to be thinking about and maybe not publishing every day, but once a quarter, putting out a really uh, impactful kind of technical opinion piece. Nice. And th that is what I need. So yeah. again, I'm, you know, not these are not prescriptive. I <laughs> <laughs> don't blindly follow That's these coaching. things. It's meant to be more of a how do you how do you use these principles to sort of think about what's going to help you and make an individually best decision for yourself. I like that. I like that. So it starts with that brutal focus, gaining ultimately true clarity or as much clarity as we can in that given moment. Exactly. Uh, about those next steps. <laughs> Then we lean into cultivating power, understanding that leverage and the productivity and ultimately, you know, what, what are those actual steps? What, what comes after that? They've now got clarity. They've, they know what they need to do. They know the, the next steps. What comes next? The next thing is relish uncertainty. <laughs> so this uh, cultivate power kind of links back to that execution bucket yeah. and relish uncertainty links back to um, that mindset bucket. Okay. So you get as much clarity as you can. You try and build the influence you're going to need to like actually get stuff done. And then like, you got to see what happens and you kind of got to roll with it. So I have found like one of the most important mindsets, particularly when you're trying to like 
live big and work big and just kind of really go after those dreams that you have uh, is, gosh, we got to tackle uncertainty. And I, because I think actually that's where there's a lot of growth and opportunity. And I also know that I think human beings, we are at our best and we are the, we are thriving the most when we are growing, when we are not stagnant. Yeah. And also I think when we're willing to let ourselves try things and iterate and like, there's going to be some mess, but to know that we can like, you know, we can move forwards, we can grow. And I think, you know, this is something, so from my past, I, I observed that. So I often had like a bunch of different things going at once, <laughs> like whether it was like ultimate Frisbee and getting a PhD, or maybe it was, um, like in college, like I rode crew in college and was doing all, you know, the academic stuff also. But one of the things that taught me is that when you're willing to do several different things at once, um, you're forced to focus to what's most important because you really don't have time to do anything but that. <laughs> Become more efficient. Well, you do. You also learn to accept a certain amount of mess. Like there, there was this one time I forget. So I was in, I, I was both doing some PhD stuff and med school stuff at the same time. It was like finals week. I think I was leaving for a conference and, uh, I almost missed my ride to the airport, but like had stayed up late getting everything ready and then got in the car. And then we got to the airport and I said, hold on, hold on. I got to drop off these bills in like the little postal box at the, at the airport. And he was like, I hate people like you. He's like, he's like I don't know how you're doing all this doing stuff so but like you, you still paid your bills even though you nearly slept through like me you know love coming it. to pick you up love it the life but of a high performer right there well it's accepting mess in areas where you can tolerate some mess and then so but I think part of the reason that we we struggle with that is because uh we want control our human brains want control and we want certainty that stuff is yep. going to work out. And we often don't start a new habit because we want that so badly. Yeah. And so this is why um, relishing uncertainty. And I, I have some tips about how to do, how, how do you do that rather than just say like, okay, relish uncertainty, start now. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what's that initial step because ultimately that's how someone can take that big leap is relishing yeah. that that uncertainty so i'd love to know you know what does that process look like for you someone who's on the edge right now and they know that there there is that leap that they've got to take mm -hmm. how do they have that confidence to make that leap yeah well the first thing that i like to talk about is um having a mindset of abundance and here's what that means to me i think it means that um you can acknowledge that there is more than one good way to get somewhere that your path does not have to be like linear and straight. Most are not. When you, uh, this goes back to something we were talking about earlier. When you hear the story after the fact, we often tell, we retell this story in this way that it's like, oh, it was a foregone conclusion that uh, whatever, I was going to be famous. <laughs> but it usually doesn't happen like that in real time. So there's more than one good way to get someplace. And then the second piece is there's more than one great place to get to. Like often we have this really focused idea about where we want to get to. And the truth is maybe what actually happens, which could be far off what we had planned, takes us to someplace even better. Mm -hmm. um, 
I nice. hear a lot of stories about this and I also see it happening with my clients. Um, you know, where maybe they were like high up in a company, but had some dreams and ideas about something else they wanted to do. And ultimately like weren't able to like do as much of that as they wanted in the company they were in. And so then they went and opened their own consulting practice, like, you know, and are living the dream. So it's just things like that, that, um, you know, can really happen. So that I think that's helpful is step one. I love that. I, I really like the visual and this is where I've kind of described it in the past is that we set that initial goal and then that's our target. And we're going to, we're going to fire a torpedo at that target. And what's going to happen that torpedo is going to adjust and change. It's not a straight line mm-hmm. and over time it's going to change. But what's important is you hit fire, you start, this is step one, you take the leap. Um, mm-hmm. And only once you've done that, will you know that you're actually on that right path. Well, and there's an amazing thing about getting moving, mm-hmm. which is that like I've often, I, I came back from a sailing trip also recently and yeah. um, I'm not a sailor. So I learned a lot about sailing. <laughs> and one of the things about sailing is that if water is not flowing over the rudder, you cannot steer. So like as you're tacking through the wind, changing from a port tack to a starboard tack, you have to keep turning relatively quickly because if you get stuck directly upwind, the boat stops and you can't steer it. And then you got to do all these shenanigans to get it back. That's my technical word. That's my sailing word. There are shenanigans that you have to do to get back moving again. So um, I love this idea of get started, build some momentum Mm -hmm. because then you can adjust your course. But um, if you're not started, all the adjusting is in your head and all that is, is like ruminating. So what about this? What about that? What about this? So, um, so I love that example of say, got it. Like for in your push fire. Yeah. (laughs) absolutely love it. I Um, love that you, Oh, sorry to interrupt you there. I love that you brought up your actual sailing trip. And I know this is, this may be a little bit off tangent, but I've seen the deliverables of your coaching and how you structure, how you serve and help people. (laughs) Um, I love the amount of balance and ultimately, to a certain extent, freedom that you have created uh, Mm -hmm. for you in in your personal life. You know, you've got some incredibly successful business, but then also you still have created a way that you have some freedom. Like, what has been your approach for that? Because I, I see that as very different to some other CEOs and high-level entrepreneurs that want to build these massive, massive empires. So I'm really intrigued by that. Um, and it's super impressive what you've managed to do. Well, th- thank you. Um, and, and I will say, like, depending on what you want to build, like, mm-hmm. there are some realities that you can't bully. So I just like to, I like to bring that up, that yeah. there are... Um, you know, if you want to build a very large company and take it public and do that, that is going to look different than, um, and what are the most important elements for that are going to look different from like building a coaching practice and and what I have done. But, um, I think one of the things that really compels me and, and part of the influence again, of like, I, I was studying general surgery before I, um, decided not to do medicine and actually to, really follow this kind of deeper passion for performance. That is totally what took me into surgery also in the first place, but um, is I really like having a multi-channel life. So for me, and I think you probably 
heard that coming when I talked about how I was always saying, yeah, I want to do something really challenging academically. Guess what? I also want to be like very physically active. I want to play sports, not just amateur sports, but if there's a medal to be won, like I want to go win that, uh, you know, (laughs) and I want to train appropriately for it. And um, so I think there was a piece of me that always knew that I wanted that multi-channel life to be healthy, like to have a good relationship. Um, but I also love ambitious, challenging, thoughtful work, work that is stimulating. And, um, I think what that forces me to do is to really like live brutal focus to define like, what is most important for that? How much time do you actually need to invest in your health or your fitness, you know, particularly as you get older, (laughs) um, to really, uh, have that piece be where it can be. And then what does that mean about how potent do your work activities have to be in terms of your enjoyment of them, um, the financial rewards of them. And um, you'll notice, for example, um, and anyone who goes to my social media may be like, where were you for the past 10 years? And I will tell you that was a deliberate choice. Um, there were a number of people who told me when I started my practice that I needed to blog. I needed to get on the social media train. Um, there were all these things I needed to do. And I looked at everything and I said, well, as I'm starting, I need to make sure my coaching is top quality, uh, because that's the making stuff. Mm-hmm. That's everything. Um, and, uh, it will ultimately, um, you need to have happy clients to have more clients. But I also said, and you need to learn how to sell and how to, um, do whatever prospecting you're going to do to, uh, and business development to, um, you know, have people want to try you as a coach. And so I really focused on those two activities Love and it. I did not blog. I did not post. Um, I did none of those things. And, um, and ultimately it taught me a lot. I like, I got much better at really having a good conversation with someone we'll call it a sales conversation because that in fact is what it is, but to really figure out if I would be a good fit for them. I learned how to do cold outreach. I networked a lot, you know, and these are all skills that now um, I feel very confident at, but you know, they didn't teach me that in med school. So, um, but it, it is really helpful because I think ultimately focus is challenging and I'm, I'm telling my clients to do it and I'm trying to help them find ways to do it, but to let go of some of the stuff, um, you have to do that. And I'll tell you in that extraneous bucket, um, no one here in your audience wants to hear the whole list, but there's a bunch of stuff on that list. That's like, you know, uh, what, (laughs) like how much of the like stuff, all this stuff around the house or this or that, like that, how much are you going to concern yourself with that mm-hmm. versus like, all right, or cooking something fancy? Like, did I eat something healthy? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, can I, can I walk through the house without, you know, running into something? <laughs> okay, great. House is clean and I ate, <laughs> but right. these are just examples of some of, there's a lot of extraneous stuff that builds up on our to-do lists. So, um, I think you're you're the actual role model and you're living what I, I would expect a lot of your clients are striving for too. So I think that's just a, a credit to, to yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. Um, what are you currently working towards? 
what's next for either Thaxa or what is coming for you? Um, that's a great question. So, um, I, perhaps as I pointed out, like I had a real focus for the first 10 years of help as many people as I could yeah. really refine my coaching. And then also to just understand like how to, how to build the business in its most potent form. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, ultimately, uh, you know, since the pandemic, my coaching has gone entirely virtual. It was partially, partially virtual before. Um, but now, um, now it's all virtual. And um, as a piece of that, one of the things that I have been really excited about after 10 years of coaching is actually saying, okay, uh, these ideas that I've developed and distilled have relevancy and value beyond just a one-on-one -on -one coaching relationship. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of what's next for me is to say, I went into this because I love seeing people do awesome stuff. And our world is butter when people are out kind of living big and really living potently. And so um, I decided that what was next for me was to say, let's kind of take these ideas out, uh, starting with podcast guesting and really uh, see what their impact is in the absence of like a direct kind of one-on-one -on -one coaching yeah. relationship and um, see what is most helpful. See how you test and change them to make them more applicable. And um, so I think it's the beginning of the next 10 years, which is uh, continued coaching because I, I, I love coaching. Yeah. It's not a side thing I do. Uh, I, it was my first love and I continue to just really be jazzed about it. So um, this That's is kind cool. of a next layer. Yeah. It uh, sounds like a bit of a transition. And for me, what I'm hearing is that you're looking to ultimately help and serve more people from yes, the, from that transition so that's really <laughs> exciting what would be the best way for someone to get in contact or their to to learn a little bit more all of your links and socials will be down below but where would be the best place for someone to go i think uh, the best place to learn about coaching would be my website and so that's at thaxa.com and um i think that uh so through the site my contact info is there and but you can also message me through that site and um, there's a lot of FAQs if you just want to read, but also if it's something people are more actively looking into, uh, I'm always happy to set up an intro call. So that's something you can message me about and we can talk a little more about it. Love it. And then I actually have a question uh, that I ask every single one of my guests that comes on the show. And the question is, what advice would your future self give you in this current moment? I think uh, my future self, my future self would tell me to like, keep going fast. It's fun <laughs> and exciting. And also like when you're going fast, there's so many things that you just like, don't give a second thought to. I like, and, and, and there's so much that can distract us, can make us feel bad about ourselves, all, all the things. Right. And so it's like, nah, just keep going fast. Cause when you're going fast, you have to focus on just steer. Like, Amazing. Yeah. Such a great, such a great answer. And um, Carl, I want to just express my gratitude for you coming on the show. There's you've got so much knowledge. You have a really unique way of piecing together these very complicated uh things. And I think what you're doing with your company, having worked in the coaching industry for a very long time and seen the behind the scenes of lots of different businesses, 
the setup you have, what you're doing, the results you're delivering is off the charts. So that's exciting. And I'm excited for that next 10 years that you have coming up where you're going to start to impact and serve more people. So again, thank you for coming on to my show. Uh, I'm sure the guys that are listening will have gotten an incredible amount of value. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get to do this again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Samuel. This is great. My name is Samuel Main, and I truly hope that you've got value from today's video. If you have, please do hit like and subscribe down below, and I'll see you in the video tomorrow.